0: So Jimmy Carter, right, was in his 90s when he got uh, Pembrolizumab, which is Keytruda, for his metastatic melanoma. There was not a single 90-year-old included in the clinical trial that led to the approval for Pembrolizumab for the treatment of, you know, metastatic melanoma.
1: This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. And today, I'll be talking with Carolyn Presley, a lung cancer specialist here at the James, who is also a leader in the growing field of geriatric oncology. Carolyn is the co-director of the James Cancer and Aging Resiliency Clinic, known as the Care Clinic, a multidisciplinary clinic that addresses the unique and specific needs of older cancer patients. And her research focuses on how physical therapy, exercise, relaxation therapy, and diet can all play a role in the effectiveness of the cancer treatment for older patients and help them maintain a better quality of life longer. Welcome to the podcast, Carolyn.
0: Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about this important topic.
1: Great. And first, before we sort of talk about this important topic and the different and unique needs of of older cancer patients, tell me, I'm curious, how did you come to devote so much of your career and your passion to treating older cancer patients, this specific population within the overall population of lung cancer patients that you treat?
0: Thanks. That's a great question. And I do think my interest in geriatrics really uh, started when I was uh, a young child and saw my parents in the healthcare field caring for older adults. And my father was a physical therapist In rehab, nursing homes, and did a lot of home health care as well. And my mother was a hospice nurse, uh, both inpatient and in a hospice house. And then eventually um, they both retired. But during both of their careers, that uh, phenomenon that I think is still going on that take your daughter to work day started. And so I was probably one of the first, um, you know, a girl at the time who started going to work with their parents to see exactly what they were doing. And so I was interacting with older adults from a, a very early age and really enjoyed that time. And as I went to medical school and then residency, I realized that I loved um, talking to and helping provide health care for older adults. But then I was also really drawn to uh, caring for patients with cancer. And then I was introduced to the field of geriatric oncology, which when I was a resident, I didn't even know existed. And I went to a geriatrics conference
1: Well, let me get the timing of that because I know it's a relatively new field. So when you you were in your residency, what year would this have been and how new was geriatric cancer?
0: So I started residency in uh, uh, 2009, but the field of geriatric oncology had probably been around for about a decade at least before then. And, of course, the field of geriatrics has been around for a long, long time. I think the first hospice in the United States started in the 1980s. Um, And the field of geriatrics, though, also started, you know, several decades ago. But the field of geriatric oncology, really in the United States, was uh had probably been around for at least a decade when I joined, but there were very few, and there still continue to be very few dual trained physicians in both geriatrics and oncology. There's probably less than a hundred in the United States who are actually board certified in both geriatrics and
1: oncology it seems kind um, of it seems kind of inspiring to me perhaps that both your parents were caregivers for, um, older people, people who are, who are trying to get back to their life and through physical therapy or people at the end of their life and providing the best possible last days for those people. So you, your parents were caregivers. They passed that gene on to you and you're a caregiver.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, 'm one of the first uh, I'm one of the first two women physicians in my family on both sides so really uh, being a physician is uh, my generation is really the generations before us were the, you know the majority of women were nurses and right. you know clearly some were physicians but I mean it's really hasn't been until the last um decade or so that really medical schools started and this is totally off topic but really made a push to make 50% of all medical school classes be 50% women. And now that's the norm. But when I started medical school they were that was a goal and they were just you know working towards that. So um, I, but I did have, uh, a lot of mentorship and role models, uh, in my career as a med student. And then as a resident really in 2009, uh, two mentors and then really helped set me on this course. And that was Dr. Arthi Huria, who, um, was at City of Hope and actually was tragically killed in a car accident two years ago in November. And then uh, Dr. Carrie Gross, who was an internist, and then uh, eventually Dr. Tom Gill was uh, was my geriatrics mentor. And those three people really um, helped me find uh, this passion and they really trained me And are largely responsible for, um, you know, opening my eyes to this much, much needed field of research. Because uh, they are the majority of patients with cancer. Over 60% of all patients uh, seen, particularly at the James are over the age of, of 60 and over 20% of those are, are over the age of 70. And, and during my career, really, we're going to see uh, an explosion of patients who are in their 80s. Because people are living longer, and age is the number one risk factor for acquiring cancer. But um, over the years, these patients uh, have been chronically underrepresented in the clinical trials that lead to uh, cancer treatment approvals. And so this has been known for, for decades. So really trying to create the data that we need to treat older adults with cancer is, is needed. And there is a, a lot of work uh, yet still that needs to be done.
1: Why do you think it is that over the years, older patients were not in clinical trials as much as younger patients? Is it because there was this stereotype that since they're older, they're not in as good health to start with, so they wouldn't be good candidates for a clinical trial?
0: Yes, I think that's exactly right, Steve. I think that's one main reason Um, being on a clinical trial you are perhaps testing some of the newest cancer treatments. And older adults, you see a decline in uh, kidney function. We sometimes see a decline in liver function and bone marrow function. It all gets older, right? So sometimes the bone marrow, which is that factory that produces your white blood cells, your red blood cells, and your platelets... Um, can get more easily damaged from cancer treatments. And so you, the traditionally patients who have been included in clinical trials are the healthiest, but unfortunately the least representative of older adults because they are the healthiest patients. And on one hand, it makes sense, right? Because you don't want to hurt people with new cancer treatments. But on the other hand, right, that would be over-treatment or under-treatment if you don't give it to them, but, but on the other hand, once these drugs are approved, whether it's a, a drug that goes to the vein or a drug that's taken by mouth, once they're approved, then they're used across the population, right, but then you don't, we don't have the information we need, to um, be able to tell patients and their families, this is what you can expect from this treatment, um, because they weren't necessarily the, the type, that type of patient wasn't included in the in the clinical trials that led to the drug approval.
1: Right. Because if I'm understanding correctly, they were given the clinical trials were people in their 30s and 40s who younger 50s, and yeah, yeah, not 50s so- or
0: 60s. And I mean, uh, less than you know, ten percent of patients included in clinical trials are in their seventies and eighties. So, what what do you do with someone who's ninety? So Jimmy Carter, right, was in his nineties when he got uh, pembrolizumab, which is Keytruda, for his metastatic melanoma. There was not a single ninety-year-old included in the clinical trial that led to the approval for pembrolizumab for the treatment of metastatic melanoma. So it's only after these drugs are approved that researchers like myself and others um, can answer those questions on what happens to patients who are 70 and older, 80 and older, 90 and older who get these medications.
1: Wow. So I, I can hear the passion in your voice. And that certainly answers the question of why you went into this field. And it seems natural. So now tell us a little bit about the care clinic. And I've been up there once. You gave me a tour once. And it's sort of like, it's in the same sense, it's like the um, Spielman Comprehensive Breast Cancer Center, where women can go there and see every doctor, therapist, everyone they need at one place in one day. It's the same basic concept, right?
0: It's similar, um, but really this is uh, meant to be one-stop shopping for patients, but also a multidisciplinary team approach, meaning each uh, clinician who's evaluating the patient, we're all talking about it and coming up with a one cohesive care plan. And so the patient sees... um, a nurse and gets their memory tested, which isn't part of routine cancer practice yet. Um, but we actually do have a dedicated uh, memory and um, comprehension test that we do. We have their hearing checked. We review all their medications with a pharmacist. They see a nutritionist, a case manager. Um, and uh, they see the physician as well. And we see all types of patients with cancer. They could have blood cancers. They could have solid tumor cancers like lung cancer. And a lot of our patients are also pre-transplant. And so they may have leukemia or multiple myeloma, and we're seeing them before they they get a transplant. And they also see uh, physical therapy as well. And so... It really is a 360 evaluation in one place. So it is a longer visit. It's a, about, it can be an hour and a half to two hours, depending on you know what the needs are. And if uh, patients have already had their hearing checked, a lot haven't, but if they've already had their hearing checked, then we can skip that portion of the exam. Or if they're already working with physical therapy, then- that may not be needed, but there just isn't enough time to do all of this and address all of it in a routine oncology visit. And it's really needed and necessary to find geriatric syndromes, which are affect the outcomes of cancer treatment.
1: How unique is this to have a care-type clinic that's sort of all-in-one place within a cancer hospital? Is there two, three, or four, or five around the country, or Uh, how many? It's
0: very unique. There's about 20 to 25 in the country, and that uh, sometimes, um, depending on when you check the literature, reach out to them. We actually just published an article in uh, BMC Geriatrics actually summarizing uh, the 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 uh, multidisciplinary clinics across the country
1: and do you get calls from cancer hospitals that don't have such a clinic who want to talk to you about yep. what do we do?
0: yeah absolutely so uh as part of the cancer and aging research group, which is carg, uh, we are really one of the go to centers for this uh delivering this type of care because uh, it is not common, and we do get a lot of requests. And fortunately, we're part of a cancer center that really values this work. And because it is uh, clinician-intensive, and, but it's, it's providing the best care for the patient.
1: Okay, great. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Carolyn's going to fill us in on a few of the clinical trials that she and her team have opened here at the James and how they're helping older cancer patients. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Carolyn Presley, and we're talking about the new and growing and important field of geriatric oncology. And, and during the break, you checked, you did a little fact-checking. Carolyn, what'd you, what'd you come up with? Oh,
0: <laughs> there are about 14 multidisciplinary clinics in the United States uh, that are dedicated to a multi-disciplinary approach to seeing older adults with cancer, and uh, but the, and the James uh, Oncogeriatrics Care Clinic it is one of those 14. Yeah, so the care clinic really is a a very unique resource for patients and providers in in the state of Ohio, and now. We do offer a virtual platform as well. So if, because, you know, it's hard for older adults to travel, maybe they need to get a ride, maybe they live three hours away, and now we are able to deliver a similar but slightly different format, but to do it virtually, either over the telephone or um, in person, now that uh, telehealth has become such a widespread modality so we're we're able to, uh, to offer it both ways
1: right safety is is everything, and you're taking the proper safety precautions with these older patients who might be a little more vulnerable to covid
0: oh absolutely they definitely are, and particularly patients with lung cancer as well there's Uh, research coming out that we're part of the TerraVault consortium. That's an international registry for patients with lung cancer who get COVID. And uh, understandably, their mortality is is much higher than other cancer types because, you know, the disease affects the lungs.
1: So let's change the topic a little to what we were going to start this segment off with, which is all these new clinical trials that you've opened that are really pushing the needle forward and coming up with great new strategies and treatments for older cancer patients. So run us through um, some of the clinical trials you've started.
0: Yeah. So we started uh, the fitness study, which is actually using uh, a full geriatric assessment while we are uh, treating older adults with, with lung cancer. And Really following patients a lot more closely for side effects and quality of life as compared to standard of care. And that includes checking their mood, their physical capability, like balance, um, and and really just checking in with them every month on on a regular basis, really asking about how it's affecting their everyday functioning. And um, this is a newer approach. We also collect a blood sample and a stool sample to look to see if we can find biomarkers that would help us predict who would experience a bad side effect or a toxicity as we call it, who would experience a bad side effect, but also who would respond and why are they responding to the treatments that we're giving them. But trying to understand the patient experience on a much more granular level in terms of how does this actually affect your everyday functioning?
1: So if you're monitoring all these different aspects of their life and you find something that's a little off, do you then have options in uh, how you treat them, the meds you give them, the uh, the doses, things like that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the next phase of the type of research that we're doing. And that's what interventions, what can we change that would improve how patients feel and how the the lung cancer treatment actually works. And so one study is it called ROAR, LCT, or resiliency among older adults receiving lung cancer treatment. And that's using, um, again, virtual health, physical therapy visits and relaxation visits to actually improve strength and mood during the active lung cancer treatment. So whether you're getting chemotherapy, immunotherapy, a combination of them, or a targeted treatment. We, we think that proactively addressing strength, endurance, and I'm not talking about, you know, training for a marathon. I'm talking about just moving a little bit more and we're not getting people on treadmills. We give them a peddler actually. And They can do it with either their hands on a table or their feet. So it's a small device that um, they're able to uh, increase their heart rate and um, get a little bit more exercise, even if they're on oxygen, even if they use a walker. It's something that they're able to do in their own home and um, is adaptable.
1: Carolyn just held it up to show me and just I'll explain to everyone. It's just a little foot pedal that you can put down by your feet while you're watching TV sitting in your chair, right? And you can just you just tap on it or push on it up and down, right mm-hmm. foot, left foot, and that's what would that's enough to help add a little strength, right?
0: Yeah. And we also give patients um like resistance bands to improve strength as well. And what we're finding is that It actually does improve fatigue, shortness of breath, balance. People feel stronger and patients are living much longer now with lung cancer. And so the majority of my patients are either stage three or stage four, but um, it's worth it to try and uh, help them get stronger and feel more relaxed because feeling a lot of our patients feel short of breath. And we think that using something called progressive muscle relaxation actually helps to improve that sensation of feeling short of breath. And it's a type of mindfulness technique, but it's really a relaxation technique.
1: Is and it, Is it a breathing exercise of some sort where you sort of relax and focus on your breath?
0: Yeah. You're systematically tensing and relaxing your muscle groups. So you can think about it as tensing and relaxing your, your arms. You know, you can even do it with your face, your arms, your legs, your stomach, your chest. So if you're, and you're concentrating on your breathing.
1: Oh, it's a guided, guided meditation.
0: Yeah, so it is. And so we do patients do weekly visits with one of our master's level uh, psychology students, and then they do weekly visits with our physical therapist. And the nice part is, is they do it virtually. So it's no extra visits in terms of coming into the office. It's all done from your home. And a lot of times starting or changing cancer treatments can be scary and isolating, right? Particularly during COVID. So it's sort of, you know, our patients like having a check-in once a week. And if there's any problem, that comes right back to me. And then my team will, will check in with the patient. But really, our feedback so far has been that it's been a very positive program and really bringing these services to patients in their own homes when it's not, you know, it's scary to to be interacting with even more healthcare providers, particularly right now. So it's a really nice uh, study to be able to do during COVID where you are connecting with patients and making them feel better but not exposing their, them to higher risk of, an, of COVID infection.
1: Okay, and that, I'm sorry, say the name of that one again. That was the ROAR. The that's ROAR, roar. roar. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's the next clinical trial you're working yeah,
0: on? Yeah, so the next one that's opening just in November, so depending on when this airs, <laughs> it'll probably be open, but it's called the NutriCare Study. And this is for um, patients who are older, but it's also for patients uh, who meet the um, lower income criteria, because we worry about uh, nutrition and patients getting adequate nutrition during cancer treatment, because weight loss is a very common phenomenon. So... During this uh, NutriCare study, patients get randomized to either getting just nutritional information or they get um, nutrition counseling and uh, medically tailored meals from a company called MANA. And the meals, it's sort of like Meals on Wheels, but better, because the food is better. I've tried it. My, my team has tried it. Uh, the food is better. It's already prepared. It comes frozen. And, but we're actually providing food uh, to, to patients. And with the idea that A lot of people, even in the United States, don't have access to adequate nutrition that they need, whether it's because they're in a food desert, meaning there's just not access to fresh fruits and vegetables, or they don't have the money to buy more expensive, ripe, fresh food is more expensive. So it's really trying to see if we can improve health and nutrition and improve um uh treatment tolerance so we actually think it might help people tolerate the the cancer treatment better
1: the idea being if they're eating more and eating healthier they'll retain more weight as opposed to losing weight which will give them a little more stamina and then they can
0: Exactly. Yeah. They'll feel better.
1: It's all mm-hmm. it's almost like this horrible cycle once you start losing weight then you're more yes. you're, it, it, so that's And
0: you're yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly right.
1: And there's one more clinical trial I know that you're working on.
0: Yeah, so this is a a, a study that um, is really innovative in that it incorporates palliative care in the care of our patients with lung cancer right from the very beginning. And so we've embedded a palliative care physician and nurse team within our clinic, and so the access. To palliative care services has uh, really improved significantly because there are studies, one of which was published uh, two years ago, that showed if you aggressively manage symptoms and pain from the beginning, you can improve survival upwards of five months, even if you don't change anything about the cancer treatment knowing that if patients feel better and you aggressively manage symptoms, you can improve survival. And that five month metric is better than a lot of the drugs we have out there. And so really trying to understand what is it about that symptom management that is improving patients' lives is a big part of that study. But this is the first embedded Oncopal clinic at the James and our, the preliminary feedback is that our patients and families, they just love it because they see their oncologist, their thoracic oncologist, and they see their symptom management doctor all in the same visit. And it's really revolutionized our care delivery at the James.
1: Well, it certainly sounds like your care clinic is one of the largest, best, and most cutting-edge geriatric cancer centers in the world so thank you <laughs> and i want to end with something that we started with and that's your parents who are a physical therapist and a hospice worker what do they think of what you're doing now
0: uh no they're you know they're proud they uh they're happy that uh we're you know using these skills and this um skill set to really uh, focus on older adults and to really improve quality of life, no matter what your anticipated survival is. You know, a lot of people are like, well, why do you bother because they're, you know, they're not going to live that long anyway. And my response is that's, that's exactly why we should be doing this research is because there is such a a short amount of time, even though patients with lung cancer in particular are living longer, you want however much time, you know, any of us have left on this earth to be the best it can be. And that's really the mission. And that shouldn't change as you get older. And we want older adults to still feel like, they have a, a, and we want them to feel and experience a, a high quality of life. And really, we want the James to to be the national leader in, you know, oncogeriatrics.
1: All right. Well, thank you. And and tell your parents thank you for raising. I I I have this theory that caregivers, which includes such a, a wide variety of professions, and certainly what you do, are are just you know, that's like the greatest thing you can do in the world is helping people. So thanks for doing that and sharing this amazing program with us.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Soloff Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.